So we are continuing our series in Ecclesiastes, and uh, Phil, after the service last week, Phil and I got together with the Bible, and he says, oh, look, it looks like the fear of God has fallen upon you. Ah, thanks. Uh, So we will be moving along here with Ecclesiastes 5. 1 through 7, the initial reading of this passage can seem a little disjointed, odd, maybe not relevant. But as you allow this passage to soak in, it's really cool what God can bring out of it. I've been blessed this week. I hope that you will be blessed this morning. Ecclesiastes 5, beginning with verse 1. And I've asked Justin just to keep this up there and, uh, so that you can have it up there and be looking at it. And I'm just going to go verse by verse. Won't be a long message. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So when I think of the word guard, a couple things come to my mind. First, I just think of the definition. It's when you're guarding something, it's purposeful, intentional, deliberate, not veering, not distracted. It's focused. It's not drifting in and out of attention. And when you guard your steps, it's like guarding your heart, in a sense. Guard your steps, guard your heart. It's kind of the the same thing because our heart kind of directs where we go. And I know I've mentioned this illustration probably almost every time I get up to speak because I just love it because it speaks to me. I hope it speaks to you. But when we uh, guard our hearts and guard our steps, I used to really think that that meant, oh, I need to protect the world. I need to protect my heart from the big bad world. And that's not what that means. It means you need to protect yourself from your own heart. If you're standing guard with a rifle, you don't stand in front of your heart and protect it from all intruders. But rather you turn around and you point that rifle at your own heart and you say, stay put. Because our hearts are idle factories. They are deceptive. And they lead us into sin. And they lead us to say things that we should not say. So guarding our steps is kind of like guarding our heart. Our heart guards our feet. And our heart is deceitful. 
and we have to guard it. And so the picture is Solomon is near the temple, and he's observing, as he does in Ecclesiastes. He's, he's just kind of on a pilgrimage, and he's sort of frustrated with life, in a sense. He's searching for the meaning, and he's just making very random observations, and very genuine, very sincere. He's not trying to please anybody. He's just kind of there and just saying what he sees. And so he sees, it's almost as if, I'm reading into it a little bit here, but it's almost as if he sees a couple people coming up to the temple. And um, so he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So when are we to guard our steps? And imagine, I imagine he's looking at these uh, people coming up, and perhaps they are not, uh, maybe they're talking a lot, maybe they're not in the right frame of mind. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. When are we to guard our steps? When we go to the house of God. And when we get there, what are we to do? We are to listen. So these people called fools would present their sacrifice without presenting their hearts. In a sense, they were not guarding their hearts as they came. And here I have a confession to make. There have been times when I have come to church and I didn't really want to. I know that's a shock, but I hope that makes you feel better in that, because my guess is that there have been times when you've been like that as well. So these people called fools would present their sacrifice without presenting their hearts. They weren't in it. In a sense, they were not guarding their hearts before they came in. And, and Solomon, and he says he wants us um, to guard our heart as we come to worship. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So according to verse 2, one way to fear God better is by not speaking too quickly in general, but especially in the presence of God. Why? Well, because God is in heaven, according to the text, and we are on earth. And you get this sense that that sort of means that God is God and we're not. Our understanding is limited. 
And one way we indicate to God that we understand this, that He is God and we are not, is by holding our tongue and letting our words be few. Well, what happens when we don't hold our tongue? Verse 3. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. I admit, I wasn't quite sure how to interpret this verse. I had to dig around, and other translations helped me. The New Living Translation especially says, Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. Okay, I was beginning to understand it a little bit better. And after pondering this verse and just kind of letting it soak in, the question came to me, what is the difference between activity and scheming? Maybe it ties in with Proverbs 23, verse 4, which says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. I'm not certain if that ties in, but I'll let you ponder that further. Verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools, but pay pay what you vow. Verse 5. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. So here I had to do a little research on vows. And because honestly, I I didn't know a whole lot about vows. And and it seems now that Solomon has moved from leaning against a column outside the church, outside the temple, and he's moved inside and watched these people. And apparently he's watching them inside the church. And has observed someone make a hasty vow without thinking it through. And so I was led in my search on vows to Leviticus 27. Leviticus 27 is, uh, it's, it's all about vows, um, but to understand it, I read an article by uh, Bob Deffenbaugh, and uh, it has a great article on Bible.org if you want to look at it, on vows. But he says, offering a vow, just to kind of bring us into the Old Testament temple worship world that Solomon knew about when he was writing this, offering a vow is practicing a kind of credit card act of worship. 
It is a promise to worship God with a certain offering in the future. The vow was made promising to offer something to God if God would intervene on behalf of the individual, making the offering possible. Now, we do see examples of this in the Old Testament. Jacob vowed to pay a tithe if God would bless him and keep him in Genesis 28. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah vowed that if God gave her a son, she would give him to the Lord all his life. And in the New Testament, in Acts 18 and 21, we find that Paul continued to make vows and fulfill them. But the vows of Leviticus 27 were voluntary promises. They were not required, but they were voluntary promises to offer a particular gift to God. Specifically in mind in Leviticus 27 are those vows which God, if you read the chapter, God seems to know that men did not wish to keep because he makes kind of provisions in the sense that they're going to try to weasel out of these vows. So God anticipates that the vows which are made at one moment in time may be regretted later. And thus the offerer will attempt in one way or another to renege on them or replace one offering for another or to somehow reduce what was offered. And so this was what Solomon was referring to as he observed these vows taking place in the temple. Which is why he continues in verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. They had temple messengers, and they would come up and talk about, here's the, the sacrifice I promised in my vow. And so when they would come to the temple messenger without it, and they're trying to weasel out of it, Solomon is, Solomon is saying, um, do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the works of your hands? So essentially Solomon was saying, consider carefully before you make a deal with God. And here, it makes, it comes home to you and to me sitting at Two Rivers Church today. And here's the, the application. And, and in light of this, verse 7 makes a lot of sense. For when dreams increase, and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So, in the context of this passage, I believe that Solomon is saying, your 
daydreams are driving you to make deals with God and bring it back to us even a little further and more pointed. And what really spoke to me was put another way, the way we dream about our life and how it should be or how we think it should be is often driving our prayer life. The way that we imagined it would always be is sometimes how we pray. So what are we to do? Is it necessarily wrong that the way we've always imagined our life would be and the way we daydream of it to be or the way we fantasize of it to be, the perfect life or whatever it might be for you. And it's not always in the negative. It could be positive. Perhaps you are dreaming that I want to be closer to God. I wish that my life were in step more with God. What if we did dream that way of following God more closely? I confess that oftentimes my dreams are not that. But I often allow my dreams of what I think my life should be or what it should look like or how I always imagined it would be and I tend to pray toward that end. And it's almost as if Solomon is saying, be careful. And so, as I pondered these questions myself, interestingly enough, I found my best guidance was offered by Solomon in verse 1. And I'll close with this, and then I'll pray. When you think about your life and praying, your daydreams, your visions, hear the Word of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they do not know that they are doing evil let's pray father we thank you for your text this morning. 
It is my prayer, and I believe the prayer of every sincere believer in this room, that we would be closer to you. I pray that our dreams, our visions of who we are, our life, and what it could be, would be of simply resting in you, letting you be sovereign, enjoying being a child of God, and being content in that sovereignty. We thank you for speaking to us through your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.